This is A Fresh Agenda. Conversations to connect your productivity and creativity and generate your deepest work. Here is your host, Christina Mendonza. This is A Fresh Agenda where we chat with innovators, entrepreneurs, and thought leaders. I'm Christina Mendonza. Welcome to this tiny spot in the podcast universe. I'm glad to have you here with me for a while. This podcast is about having some deeper and more positive conversations on topics of creativity and motivation to explore how people create or build their businesses, or innovate in their industries. Today, I'm chatting with Robert Villot. He is the main character in the movie Dark Waters. In that movie, he's played by Mark Ruffalo, and the movie is about a young attorney who works at a prominent firm helping big companies navigate environmental law. He gets a phone call from a West Virginia farmer named Earl Tennant, who is convinced that the water on his property is killing his cattle, and it's coming from DuPont's landfill. Billot's tour of the rancher's property is a personal and professional total left turn for him. Now, we know the story of Erin Brockovich here in California, her fight against PG&E. This is a similar theme, but there is a twist, and you'll hear it from Billot himself. And who couldn't use a little inspiration right now? I will admit... I've been feeling a little bit down during the ongoing pandemic. I know I'm not alone. A lot of people are feeling that way, not only because of the closures, but fires that have filled the air over Northern California with smoke again, meaning the only respite that we could get from COVID, which was going outside, is neither healthy nor pleasant right now. So my husband and I are doing a fair amount of working out indoors, of course, but also reading. And I usually choose books by people I want to interview or, you know, for some escapism, I might choose a good mystery or a sci-fi. My husband tends to pick a lot of deep books that then he then wants to discuss. Um, after being awake since 3 a.m. most days for the morning radio show, my energy to discuss Dostoevsky at 7 is a bit wanting. <laughs> but last night he brought his new book um, out for me, and it's actually an old book. It's Victor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning, and maybe some of you have read this book. This is actually a good time to maybe break it out again and read it. It chronicles uh, Frankel's experiences as a concentration camp victim, or inmate, I should say. Uh, Frankel was a neurologist, he was a psychiatrist, and the book has really been helping people find purpose and strength in times of despair since it was written in 1946. One of the quotes he read to me last night from this book, Everything can be taken from a man but one thing. The last of the human freedoms to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's own way. He also said that those who have a why to live can bear with almost any how. I often wonder if this was uh, the inspiration for Simon Sinek's business book, Start With Why. You know, having a purpose, having a purpose-driven life. So it's an old book, but it can provide a lot of new insight, especially during the pandemic. And the whole reason I bring it up is because it has been helping for people for decades. And with so many people suffering a loss of meaning, of feelings of isolation, aggression, depression, addiction, that is the existential vacuum that Viktor Frankl talks about in this book. So what's the answer? Well, according to Frankel, life is not primarily a quest for pleasure or a quest for power. It is a quest for meaning. And the greatest task for any person is to find meaning in his or her life. And you can find meaning at any point in your life, no matter what is happening in the outside world. So that's the challenge. What is your meaning, your purpose right now? If it's to take care of your family, to do your job to the best of your ability... 
to practice self-care, to look for a new job, or just to plot your future while you have the time and space to do it. Find meaning because it will keep you out of that abyss. And by finding meaning, happiness will follow no matter how long this pandemic lasts. One thing that many people don't look forward to is an email from HR that says, got this online training, that online training. So you put it off until you get another prompt to get it done. And then you sit there glazing over as there's a steady stream of PowerPoint slides and bad voiceover and drones on about sexual harassment policies or different work policies or email policies. That's why you need to tell your HR director about mycecourse.com. It is a multimedia education option for state compliance, professional growth and engagement. The courses dive deep deep into specialized subjects while meeting all curriculum and legal requirements. Best of all, we work with a team of attorneys, insurance professionals, and award-winning broadcast personalities and filmmakers to produce education that is both informative and interesting, relatable, reliable, and targeted storytelling. I've been with this company for a few years now. They brought me into work on um, their various projects. We did one on human trafficking Uh, That's for uh, hotel employees and that sort of thing. We also have done another one on sexual harassment. I've done a lot of them on insurance policies. And we try to make it fun and interesting and exciting to watch. More like a show, less like boring training. It shouldn't have to be boring. It doesn't have to be boring. It's education that's relevant to your life. So tell your HR director about mycecourse.com. Now, on to a story that inspired me so much. Um, I saw the movie Dark Waters, uh, then went looking for Robert Bilot. I just got online, Googled him, found him, tracked him down and said, hey, I want to talk to you. I want to talk to you about the rest of the story. Like what happens after the movie ends? Paul Harvey used to do the rest of the story. So that, that's what I'm after. Uh, so Dark Waters is the movie, but Robert Bilot's book is called Exposure, Poisoned Water, Corporate Greed, and One Lawyer's 20-Year Battle Against DuPont. Now, this is not someone who is automatically suspicious of large corporations or out to punish companies. He's done a lot of work for big companies. He was led to do a very difficult thing by his conscience, his inner balance of what was right and what was wrong. And boy, did he risk a lot to take this on. What does it feel like to face something that you know is right, but also something that you know could ruin every other aspect of your life? But he said he was going to do it anyway. Because if you don't, if you're faced with something like that and you don't do it, it's going to really feed on your soul and feed on your conscience uh, for the rest of your life. And you'll hear that in his voice. So here's my interview with Robert Bilat. Tell me a little bit about what you're doing these days. What kinds of law do you do? Well, I still practice environmental law. I'm still um, at the same law firm, uh, Taft Law Firm in Cincinnati. In fact, this week um, begins year 30 of being at the firm. Um, And what I've really been focusing on now is uh, really the, the broader scope of PFAS can chemical contamination, um, representing different types of parties um, who are now dealing with the fallout from this. Um, you know, the cleanup costs, trying to get clean water, um, helping regulators, helping government entities, communities, and still trying to do what I can to um, help spread awareness and, and understanding of what we do know about the chemicals and what still needs to be done. So. I really focused in on this area um, 
uh, of, uh, with these chemicals and really trying to help find legal solutions um, through a, a lot of um, um, uh, different different ideas in tort law, uh, mm-hmm. bringing different types of claims that can be pursued, that kind of thing. Okay. So, um well, how accurate was the movie Dark Waters? I mean, the, the scene where uh, Mark Ruffalo is touring Earl Tennant's property, it, it seemed very emotional. I mean, was it that way for you? Talk to me a little bit about touring that property and getting a first real look at, at you know, what was happening. Yeah, I mean, the folks that worked together to bring that movie, Dark Waters, out, they did a fantastic job. Uh, Mark Ruffalo and the folks at Participant Media, I mean, they really wanted to make sure it was done as accurately um, and as faithfully to the story and the real people as possible. And, for example, you know, I did visit the tenant property um, back uh, in the late 1990s, got to see what was going on on the farm. Um, you know, Mr. Tenet took me on a tour of the property. I got to see um, some of the animals that were left at that point. Unfortunately, most of uh, the, the cows had died by that point. Um, but got to tour his home, got to see the farm, got to, to meet with his wife and children and really get a sense of what kind of impact this was having on them on a daily basis. And this was their life. These these animals were part of their family. Um, you know, and they were not only seeing these animals die, but they were really concerned that they themselves were getting sick and their neighbors um, you know, and, and desperately trying to get anybody to listen to them. So, you know, it was incredibly um, moving to be there, to see that, uh, to see the impact it had on these folks. And, you know, I was um, really glad to see how well the folks who did the movie were able to try to capture that and really convey, you know, how impactful that was. You know, it, something else the movie depicted that I thought was interesting, and it's, um, you know, maybe all of us face something like this in our lives or pro- professional and personal lives at some point. I mean, after seeing that, you then are, you go back to your life, uh, your social circles, your, your, the people that you're helping that, um, you know, with environmental law that you're doing business with on a daily day, day basis. And, and the firm, there was some resistance, there was some pushback in you perhaps taking this case. I mean, talk to me about some of the, the ethical concerns, um, that you had going for, going forward when you were representing some of these companies and also trying to, to help Mr. Tennant and seeing just something that needed to be addressed. Yeah, you know, when uh, when we sat down and, and looked at the documents, the photographs, the videotapes that Mr. Tennant had taken, um, and, you know, one of my partners in our environmental group, and you see him in the film played by Tim Robbins, uh, Tom Turp, um, who ended up actually becoming, you know, the, the managing partner of the whole firm in later years. He got to see those, these documents and this, and this evidence. And, you know, this is not the kind of case that we typically handled. You know, I was working with big chemical company clients. You know, we never represented DuPont, but we worked with other chemical companies. And, you know, frequently the folks from DuPont would, would be in the room if they were representing DuPont at a cleanup site that, we, that our clients were at or something like that. So I knew those folks. Um, and, you know, when we, when we sat down, though, and looked 
at not only what Mr. Tennant had, but particularly when we started getting into the documents from DuPont and seeing what was in their files, you know, it became pretty clear this was a serious problem. Um, and, you know, particularly after we were able to, um, you know, figure out what was going on and what was happening with this particular chemical at the landfill, and we realized, you know, this was impacting the whole community, was in their drinking water. Um, you know, that was, that was a, a, you know, a big step for a firm like ours to take, you know, to bring a class action against a company like that. But what we were seeing in the documents, you know, it was pretty clear this was a massive public health threat. Um, and we felt sure, you know, that, um, you know, when, when our clients and the others in the industry saw what was going on here, they would, they would, they would understand why we were doing this. You know, uh, this was a threat to the public um, and something, frankly, we didn't see happening, you know, in other companies. So it was such a, so the facts were so bad and so clear, um, you know, that it was clearly uh, the right thing to do. And we were probably the only ones who had that information. Uh, so we really felt compelled that we, we needed to do it. And that was the right decision. And, um, you know, it, it was not easy. Um, particularly as uh, the, the process and litigation stretched out over many, many years and was incredibly expensive and no one really knew how it would end up, you know, and we have a massive economic meltdown in the middle of, of some of this, but we stuck it out and I don't know how many other firms would have done that, but, um, um, you know, it, um, it uh, was incredibly important that we were able to do that for all of us to finally come out to the public. You wonder how companies get into this position. You know, for instance, uh, you take PG&E in California. So no one knew until the fires that the lines and and the equipment was not being kept up um, and that it was in poor repair. Maybe some people knew, but it really wasn't evident. Something like this that is so out in the open where animals are being poisoned, uh, where there, you can see the fetid water. I mean, how does it get to this point with a company? Well, you know, and this is something I really try to explain and explore more in my book as well, exposure. Um, you know, that how does this happen? How does something like this actually happen in the United States in modern times? Uh, with a company as sophisticated and with such a reputation that DuPont did for leading the science. You know, how does, how does this happen? And really, you know, this is a, a classic example of uh, just uh, fundamental issues with the way in which we regulate chemicals, with the way in which our legal system interacts with the regulatory process on how chemicals are regulated, how the science is generated, how things are published. You know, here, you know, although we had animals dropping dead and white foam and it was clear something was going on, this was essentially being caused by a chemical that was completely unregulated at the time. Um, you know, it's not something that was listed on the permit for the landfill where this stuff was being dumped. Nobody knew it was even there other than the company. So it took many, many years, you know, for, to get this information out to the rest of the world, to the public, to the regulators, to the scientific community. You know, the impacts were clear. Everybody could see what was happening. But the cause of it, you know, this chemical, nobody really knew about because it, w it had gone unregulated. 
Uh, it started being manufactured back in the 1940s and being sent to DuPont in the early 50s, decades before the U.S. EPA even existed. You know, EPA didn't come out until 1970. And some of the first federal laws regulating chemicals coming out on the market and requiring testing didn't even come into place until around 1976. And this chemical, in the family of chemicals that it's a part of, they were already out there. Um, and really, the law focused only on the, really on the new chemicals coming out from that point in time. And for these existing chemicals, uh, it really was up to the companies to disclose and alert the agency, the EPA, the public, the scientific community, if there was a threat or something that needed to be done. And unfortunately, what we saw here was that decision was made repeatedly not to, to alert the agency, not to tell the public, not to provide that information. Um, so, you know, it really, I think, is a pretty dramatic um, example and demonstration of how we've got these underlying systematic problems with the way our, our regulatory systems established, the way the legal system works, that, that set up the perfect storm for this to happen. And hopefully, you know, when people see this story, when they're able to read the book and understand how all these forces led to this, that hopefully we can come up with a better way and find solutions so that this doesn't happen again. That this this situation with PFOA and the related PFAS forever chemicals that are now out there in our blood, in our soil, in our drinking water, all over the planet, um, if something like this does not happen again. I'm, you must be so proud, and your firm must be proud to um, have this uh, have this case under your belt after decades. And I, I can't imagine your knowledge of of all these different chemicals after all of the research and everything that you've done. How personally does it feel to have your career defined by such a case? Well, you know, it. Uh, I was so incredibly privileged to have met Mr. Tennant, you know, Earl Tennant, the farmer in West Virginia who first came to me with the dying cows and his family and the other people there in West Virginia, like Joe Kiger, who you see in the film, Dark Waters, and the others in the community who, who had the courage to stand up and speak out and say, look, there is a problem here. Something needs to be done. We're not going to simply back off and go away and really insisted that something like this be done. Um, you know, and it's incredibly uh, encouraging and rewarding to, to now see their story finally come out. You know, it took oh, 20 years, decades, uh, to really get this story out to the public, you know, so that people understand this wasn't just about one farm in West Virginia. This wasn't even about just one community along the Ohio River. This was a story of contamination that now we now know is global and probably the most um, you know, widespread environmental contamination story we've ever seen, where we've got babies being born with these chemicals now in their blood all over the planet, uh, and animals, polar bears, you know, in Arctic ice, we're finding these chemicals. Um, and, you know, really, most of us wouldn't even be aware of this or understand that it's happening. Um, without these folks in the small community in West Virginia um, being able to, to, to get this story out. And I was you know, incredibly privileged to have been a part of that and helped them do that. 
You say you still cover environmental law. I mean, do you suspect there are other cases as large as this one still out there yet to be discovered? You know, I sure hope not. (laughs) You know, unfortunately, what we know is that the chemical we were dealing with, and that's the focus of the film and the documentary, the double we know in the book, you know, we focused on one of these chemicals called PFOA. We now know it's just one of an entire class of these man-made chemicals that came out after World War II called PFOS, per- and polyfluoroalkylated substances, which is a real mouthful. There are hundreds, if not thousands, of those. We're just now starting to become aware of the scope and extent of the contamination from that one class of chemicals. Um, And we know that there are tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, of chemicals that are out there that we really haven't focused on that came out a lot of them before the environmental rules and regulations came out in the 70s and the 80s. So it's, it, it is kind of a scary thought, you know, to think, gee, do we have how many other situations like this do we have? Where we know about these, frankly, because of a farmer in West Virginia who happened to, 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 to push the issue and demand, you know, that we, we dig into this, that we learned about it, and only now, you know, beginning to realize the scope of the contamination. Yeah, I, I suspect, though, um, that there are probably not that many other chemicals or families of chemicals like this that not only are completely man-made, you know, never being on the planet um, before man came, but, but also have this ability to not only be toxic and potentially cause cancer, but that get in us and stay in us. You know, we're exposed to so many different chemicals during our day a lot of which our body can get rid of. You know, we excrete and we like caffeine. I'm I'm drinking coffee right now. You know, that that caffeine luckily will be eliminated from my body, hopefully within a couple of hours. But these chemicals have this unusual ability to not only stay in our environment once they're out there for millions of years. They basically don't break down under natural conditions. They'll stay there in their environment. But they also have this ability to stay in us, to build up in our blood and build up over time. And so that's the real unusual characteristic of this family of chemicals. Toxic, persistent, bioaccumulative, get in and stay in people. So I'm really hoping there aren't many other groups or classes of chemicals like that uh, that we that we find that are contaminating the entire planet. It's not um, a chemical, of course, it's a virus, but with the pandemic and with COVID-19, do you see any crossover in some of the type of law that you are practicing now or any ideas that have come out of law um, concerning chemicals that could help businesses or help individuals during the pandemic or, you know, future laws that develop around these kinds of viruses? You know, unfortunately, and even the Federal Agency for Toxic Substances Disease Registry, ATSDR, CDC, came out recently and even recognized the potential connection between this particular class of chemicals and the virus. You know, these chemicals, which are in our blood um, all, all across the planet and in drinking water of so many communities, um, they've been linked with the ability to impair our immune system or potentially decrease the effectiveness of vaccines. You know, here, we've got chemicals like that 
in our bodies and our water supplies at a time when we're all trying to fight off a, vac- uh, a potential virus. So, you know, the, the intersection of those issues becomes pretty clear in, you know, why it's so important that we at least become aware, you know, of the existence of these things in our water, in our bodies, in our environment, to at least be able to start, you know, eliminating those exposures or doing things to try to prevent the exposures. You know, I'm trying to find ways to get the uh, more studies and science done to help educate the public, the scientific community, the regulators, the rest of the world about what these chemicals can do to us so that we know about effects like immune system impairment or vaccine response. Um, because as we see these chemicals, you know, uh, finally uh, start to, information finally starts to come out about one or two of them, like PFOA, uh, the one that was the focus of the film, and we see those being banned or phased out, we see new chemicals closely related that are simply um, slightly tweaked. You know, a couple molecules or atoms are changed, and we're told, oh, these are new, and there's no science showing any harm. Well, it's because we don't have the studies being done, and we need those studies done to tell us exactly what they're going to be done, what they're going to do to us if they're in our blood or in our water. And so I've, I've even filed a new case where I'm seeking to bring a class action on behalf of everyone in the country who has these PFOS chemicals in their blood to try to make sure that the appropriate studies and testing are done to tell us exactly what they're going to do to us, what kind of impact will, it, will there be on, on us, our children, um, our grandchildren from having these chemicals in our bodies and our blood. So hopefully, um, you know, situations like this don't continue to happen when we don't um, find out about it after it's too late and after we're all exposed. The PFOAs, that is the, the it's Teflon, right? That, or is it a, a group of things that are made with this? Well, um, the, the chemical that we focused on in, that was the focus of the film and the book is called PFOA. It was this man-made chemical that was used in the manufacturing process for Teflon. It's not Teflon itself, um, but it was a chemical that DuPont used in making Teflon. And the chemical was used in in a variety of different manufacturing processes for a lot of different uh, products. You know, it wasn't just nonstick cookware. Um, You know, the chemical and related chemical called PFOS, you know, were used in things like firefighting foams. You know, stain-resistant, waterproofed clothing, carpeting, fast food wrappers and packaging, um, you know, you name it. And so, so many different different products these chemicals have been used in over the past 50, 60 years. And we're only just now starting to really understand how many products that was, how many different um, sources of exposure there are out there. Um, and the public, unfortunately, simply didn't know. You know, that these chemicals were in a lot of these products. A lot of it was kept confidential, business information. Um, the information just wasn't out there available to the public. So most of us had no idea we were being exposed when using these products or these different materials. Um, and, you know, now that we are finally realizing it, that a lot of groups are out there trying to make information available to the public about where these chemicals were used in the past and importantly, which companies are now moving away from them. So that if you do want to at least have a choice and start making some decisions about whether you continue to be exposed, 
you can try to start making them by knowing at least where these products are, are being used now. Now, I was going to ask you, how do you shop? How do you, I mean, it must, I mean, do you do you dissect every label? Knowing what you know, I can't imagine, there, I mean, there would be some items that you need that you know contain some chemicals that you don't want in your house. Well, it's extremely difficult, you know. Uh, unfortunately, it's, it's very difficult. It's not like you can simply look at the, the the ingredient label or the you know on a lot of these things and see these chemicals you know clearly labeled there. A lot of them remain unregulated, um, so that you're not going to see them even mentioned on labels, whether they're there or not. And even in products where the chemicals were used, some of the companies you know that made these products didn't even know that. They didn't know they were in the raw materials they were getting. Um, so it's incredibly hard for folks to know, you know, where these exposures occurred. So groups like the Environmental Working Group, uh, Center for Environmental Health, Green Science Policy Institute, others are trying to help make that information now available to people, you know, to, to and help publicize when companies are announcing, look, you know, we're now making X product without these so that you can at least start trying to, to make those selections. Because really, I mean, most of us just had no idea we were being exposed and didn't know, you know, where these chemicals were present. And a lot of that information, even today, is still very difficult to find. Mm-hmm. So that's why, you know, having, having shows like this and talking about this is so important so that people at least are aware that that's an issue um, and can do what they can, you know, to try to find this information and try to educate themselves. Before we wrap this up, I, uh, you know, I want to ask you what what was the best thing that came out of this experience for you? I'm sure a lot of good that was, things, but what was the best? You know, really being able to meet people like Wilbur Tennant, Sandy Tennant, his daughters, Mr. Tiger, that the community there in West Virginia. You know, meeting these people, seeing the courage and passion and determination that they had, you know, to to not only stand up and speak out, but, you know, take the brunt of the fallout from people in their own community, their own neighbors, you know, who were not happy necessarily about this when it happened. Um, You know, that I think was incredibly inspiring to be able to meet those people, have the honor of working with them. And to now see their story being told in a way that other people can appreciate what they've done. That's incredibly rewarding. Thank you. This um, this show is about innovators, entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and um, you certainly fit uh, several of those categories. And I always ask one question at the end to everyone, and um, it's a little off topic. But if you, when you, when you kind of uh, get, uh, you reach your stress level max and you need to relax and you need to recharge your batteries, what do you do? What personal habit do you have that helps you? Believe it or not, the thing that usually helps me the most is I like to watch cartoons. <laughs> uh, you know, just something where, because most of, usually what I do most of the day is reading and going through, you know, very complex documents and highly technical information for hours and hours at a time. So sitting back and watching 
uh, a cartoon or you know some of the ones that are more uh, geared toward um, you know adult you know a family guy or American dad or those kinds of shows um, South Park discharge <laughs> yes exactly I love that answer I, I lo- and I always get such an in- such interesting answers when I ask people that question because there are so many different ways that people kind of recharge and they're usually totally opposite of what they spend doing during the day so I love that answer thank you uh, Robert Blot, thank you so much for your time I appreciate it um, it's been so interesting talking to you and and thanks for taking the time thanks so much it was a pleasure talking with you I hope you enjoyed that interview with Robert Billot. He's the author of Exposure, Poisoned Water, Corporate Greed, and One Lawyer's 20-Year Battle Against DuPont. He's also the subject of the movie Dark Waters, which is out now. I think I saw it on Netflix, and that stars Mark Ruffalo. Also, very interesting um, documentary that's out, and you can look that up as well. And I believe that is also on Netflix. Not someone automatically suspicious of large corporations has done a lot of work for them, but obviously this case has really um, defined his career and and defined much of the work of his current firm. Uh, I want to thank my sponsor, myececourse.com. That is training you can count on, relevant, reliable, targeted storytelling that's also legally compliant. So ask your HR director for myececourse.com. And don't miss the KFBK Morning News, Monday through Friday, 5 a.m. to 9 a.m. Sam Shane and I, uh, we're just two journalists with about six decades of news experience between us talking about the news with you. Very different morning news show program, uh, perspective, depth, analysis, and we have some fun as well. If you're in Sacramento, it's 93.1 FM or 1530 AM or anywhere in the world on the iHeart Radio app under KFBK. So please reach out anytime on any of my platforms. You can also reach out through my website, ChristinaMendonca.com. Thank you so much. I'm Christina Mendonca. This has been a fresh agenda. Let's stay connected. Conversations to connect your productivity and creativity. This is a fresh agenda. Thank <laughs> you.